And first, a quick word from our podcast sponsor. FactSet delivers superior data, analytics, and flexible technology to help more than 170,000 users see and seize opportunities sooner. For over 40 years, we have given investment professionals the edge to outperform with informed insights, workflow solutions across the portfolio lifecycle, and industry-leading support from dedicated specialists. Through market changes and technological progress, we're proud to have been recognized with multiple awards for our analytical and data-driven solutions, while staying connected to our clients and each other. Learn more at www.factset.com. Our guest today is Matt Howard. Matt is Vice President of Stewardship at the Water Council. Matt oversees the Water Council's sustainability and stewardship initiatives. He created the world's first professional credentialing program for water stewardship. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. It's great being here. Thanks for having me. No problem. Yeah, we wanted to have you on to talk about uh, an important issue that that kind of gets uh, not as much limelight as climate these days, but one that's just just as, if not important, is in water. And so we wanted to set the scene of, you know, how, how investors should be thinking about water, what they don't understand about water and how it impacts, you know, everything they invest in. So we thought it'd be a good idea to have you on. And so is there a factor, a number of kind of, to kind of frame things to get people to understand how integral water is into what we do every day and in in the investments we have? Yeah, there is. I think when we think of water and water impacts, we tend to go right towards food and beverage, for instance, because it's obviously so water intensive. But I'm going to throw at you a couple things here. The first is uh, Google searches or really any internet search uh, platform. Every time you hit that search button, you're using, I found a couple of different stats, but you're using somewhere around a teaspoon of water every time um, that search engine conducts a search. And that relates to the data centers and the water that they use to cool and the energy that's used to power, you know, um, the internet. And so think of all the internet searches that occur over the course of a given day, multiply that by the fact that many, if not most of those searches may occur on a smartphone. So a smartphone is using somewhere along the lines of about 3,000 gallons of water over the course of its supply chain and its manufacture. And then we've got, you multiply that by 3 million data centers in the United States. So here's a sector, ICT, which has water use all along the value chain. And we really don't think a whole lot about it. Now, we've seen some announcements from a couple of Companies recently, Facebook and Google in particular, about what they're going to do around water replenishment. And so it's great to see this sector now starting to move into water use. But I think the point here for investors and more broadly speaking for you know consumers, customers, stakeholders, water lives in every sector of this economy. And the impacts are felt not just in those obvious places like, again, food production and beverage production, but really in just about everything that we consume. Yeah, that's amazing. 3,000. Wow. I wouldn't have thought, I would have guessed a much, I probably would have taken a zero or two off that number if, if you made me guess. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to frame things and, and get people thinking about just how ingrained water is into what we do. And so I want to start things off broadly and kind of, you know, you're the expert that we brought you in for to tell us kind of where have we come thinking about water in you know, in everything we do and in in the investment side of things, where are we now and where are we going? Yeah. So 
I'll start a little bit um, more broad, in, just in terms of water in general, and, and then I'll, I'll kind of bring it into this sure. investment um, sure. framework. But I think really, you know, most of us are, are really coming from a place of complacent expectation, right? That we're always going to have this miraculous delivery of cheap, clean water whenever and wherever we need it and want it. Right. And it, it really is a, a bit of a miracle the past 150 years that um, we were able to develop such an efficient and effective water infrastructure system in this country and really in the de developed world for the most part. And we're kind of getting now to the point where, number one, you know, that infrastructure is nearing the end of, of its useful life. Um, the infrastructure was built for a different climate and for a different mm -hmm. economy. Right. Right. And. We also have sort of taken, to, to borrow an infrastructure term, a tunnel vision view of water that really kind of disconnects it from its connection or its nexus with energy production, with food production, and, and kind of back to my little anecdote about you know Google searches, really water's connected to generally most everything that we consume. And so we've been complacent. We've just accepted that it's always there. It's always cheap. And now, you know, through aging infrastructure, through climate changes, through, you know, I, I think some increasing awareness amongst stakeholders, including investors, we now know that we can no longer sort of overindulge in terms of using water resources. We've got to be better stewards of that resource. And we've got to really put a new paradigm into place right now. And so I think that for me is one of the connecting points into this investment conversation, which is, Look, in, in the U.S. economy, in America, if you want change, and particularly if, if you want change as it relates to the products that we consume and how we make those products, you want consumers to demand change and you want investors to demand change. And I think this investor pressure right now on ESG is a big opportunity you know, for us as a country, as people in the water profession, to really change that paradigm away from, you know, sort of complacency and kind of general water management that we've been doing for, you know, a hundred years and kind of develop this more sustainable long-term approach through water stewardship. That's a great intro into where you're coming from. You know, we told people in the intro that you're, you're from the water council. Before I met you uh, about a year and a half ago, I didn't know what the water council was. And I would imagine most of our listeners don't. So fill us in a little bit about what the water council is and what it does. Yeah, the, the Water Council is, you know, in a, in a sentence, is a nonprofit um, and a global hub that's dedicated to solving critical water challenges by driving innovation in freshwater technology, by advancing water stewardship, and really helping companies, municipalities solve and address water quality and quantity problems. And so we as a council have been around for over 10 years. Uh, we're based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, though we work globally. And it's sort of interesting why we're based in Milwaukee. Um, for your listeners who may not know exactly where Milwaukee is, you know, we're on the shores of Lake Michigan. Um, so we have access to 20% of the world's freshwater reserves, you know, right, right outside our back door. And because of that, uh, historically, you know, the manufacturing in Milwaukee and the products that we've made in Milwaukee over our history have been water intensive because that water resource is right there. So obviously beer, you know, like that's the first thing that comes into everybody's mind when it comes to Milwaukee and our industry. Mm -hmm. 
But alongside those water intensive industries like beer, tanneries, uh, heavy manufacturing, we also developed over the course you know, of 100, 150 years, technology companies to support those manufacturers. So pipe and valve makers, controls, um, water testing, you know, uh, water measurement equipment and things of that nature. And so <laughs> it was kind of out of that historical, you know, industrial development and reliance on the water resource that this um, economy has supported naturally this cluster, this hub of water technology. And, and so that's what the Water Council has grown out of. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, when we first met, I'm I'm a Clevelander, and you're a, you're from Milwaukee, uh, and we so we bonded over the the, the Midwestern, and, and I'm from Lake Erie, and you take for granted just all the like you said, twenty percent of the world's freshwater resources are right there, and it's you know people say, well, why Milwaukee? And then it makes sense when when you talk about it. You guys are based in the U.S., but you guys have a global reach and work with other you know NGOs and investor groups and companies around the world. So tell us a little bit about how that coordination works with other other water water organizations that are out there and and just how that's done. Yeah, I mean, we really take the approach that, you know, partnership is important, right? And when it comes to addressing water innovation, water technology stewardship, no one entity, no one organization is going to solve this thing on its own. And so we put that to the test and we go out and we try and identify partners to to work with on specific issues. So for instance, on our innovation side, on our technology side, we work with organizations as diverse as like the U.S. Federal uh, Laboratory Consortium. So made up of all the federal labs in the United States, we work with them on identifying nascent technologies and commercializing those for water-related uses. We've worked with Ben Gurion University in Israel um, on water-related issues, water conservation, things of that nature. So it's, we kind of look at, you know, what's the issue? Uh, what are we trying to solve? Who's an appropriate partner to work with on that? And then on the stewardship side of the equation, we've partnered uh, for the past six years with an organization called the Alliance for Water Stewardship. They're headquartered in the UK, and we've helped them build and establish their system globally. It's based on a standard that a factory or a farm can use um, to improve you know, how it handles water resources. So we've, we've helped them build that system up uh, globally and specifically, of course, in, in North America. So for us, you got to do the partnership route. Uh, we stress that when we work with private sector companies as well as other NGOs. Um, and that's, that's a really a critical factor for, for truly addressing um, water stewardship issues. We touched on a little bit of when, uh, in, in the intro about, you know, the, thinking about the supply chain of, uh, of uh, really everything and how it always touches, you know, everything touches water in some way, whether it's your Google search or your smartphone or whatever, whatever it may be. But if you could highlight briefly some of the, the broader water issues we as individuals and investors are starting to see, will be seeing in the coming decades and where you think the, the biggest impact is going to be from an investment side of things in water in the coming years. This is a question we could spend uh, probably a couple hours talking about. So I, I'll, I'll keep it as high level as I can. I, I think, again, we, we've got to have a realization, and of course, this includes investors, that most of the products that we consume, again, you know, are reliant somehow, some way in their value chain on water. Right. And so there's a, a, a material need 
to address water use and supply chains and to mitigate those those risks that are there, right? So that's kind of the first thing. So water is, is pervasive throughout supply chains. The second thing is we, we're having a better understanding right now um, in terms of the science of how our water use is impacting groundwater supplies. And so when we look at a lot of our most water intensive industries, you know, the, again, back to the food and beverage sector, you know, uh, some of those productive areas for agricultural production in the United States are in severely uh, water stressed, you know, groundwater regions and yeah. like the Central Valley of California, for instance. Yeah, yeah. And so we've essentially been, you know, drawing on a bank of supplies and now we're, we're kind of <clears throat> running out of capital in that bank. And so we're going to have to do some rethinking in terms of why we grow things and why we make things where we do, not only in the United States, but, but globally. So that's sort of the second thing. And then the third thing goes back to infrastructure. And there's a huge need for infrastructure improvement in this country, water-related infrastructure improvement. The federal government doesn't have enough money you know, to address this issue across the board. So it's going to take you know, a public-private effort to sufficiently plan for, build, fund more resilient water-related infrastructure. And so when you kind of look at it from an investor standpoint, again, whether it's you know through the ESG lens or green finance, there are multiple different ways here um, for investors to have a positive influence uh, on our economy as it relates to stewarding those water resources, which again, essentially support and are in everything that we consume and make. Yeah, that's, I mean, we take for granted the, the water infrastructure we have. And it's just, it, it is really, as you said, it's kind of a miracle in human history that we are where we are. And just think about for the you know, 10,000 or so years we've had a civilization of some kind. Water, getting, just getting water was most of you know, people's challenges. And now we take it for granted, but in a lot of places where we can't anymore, which gets me onto the next thing we're gonna talk about is, some real world examples of, of that, that I think people will be familiar with or have heard of that kind of frames the issue. We had talked briefly last week uh, when we were kind of talking about what we we're gonna talk about, about the situation with the Colorado River. I was, you know, I, I, I know enough to be dangerous on the issue because I've <laughs> read about it, but you're the expert and just the, the kind of the history of the stresses there and the, you know, I think there's seven states that all have water rights to the Colorado River and sit, you know, and California dominates that and all these cities are dependent on it and it's not running out, but it's running low. And, you know, that's, an, that's, that's one that people would be familiar with and any, anything else you'd, you'd, you'd want to touch base on. Yeah. Well, let me say, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on the Colorado river there. There are, as the saying goes, there are two experts on the Colorado river compact. Uh, unfortunately, one of them has passed away and the other one's retired. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of people who, we think they know what's going on in the, in the Colorado River. Um, right. I don't expect either <laughs> either of us to be experts, but just to to no. get people, yeah. As we as we were talking last week, just to get people to think about it. You know, these are real world issues that you know all these cities and all the people there and, and in those seven states have, have probably taken water pretty much for granted for the past hundred or so years, and you can't. No. Yeah, it, it's boy. I don't want to say it's an intractable problem, but it, it's a highly complex issue, and. Yeah. So the, the, the Colorado River Compact itself uh, was signed just about 100 years ago. That's right. Um, in different climate conditions, yeah. certainly different 
population needs um, and population distribution and different industrial and agricultural needs a hundred years ago. And even back then, just because, you know, the science wasn't as advanced as it is now, um, essentially overestimated, you know, the amount of total available water in the basin. And right. this is a hundred years ago. Yeah. And so now, you know, layer on top of that, you know, these past hundred years of development, and obviously this is the fastest growing region in the United States. Um, many of these states, uh, I mentioned California, uh, the Imperial Valley, in particular in California, the central uh, portion of Arizona, you know, these regions uh, supply a lot of the fruits and uh, most of the fruits and vegetables that we consume here in North America. And so you've got population growth, you've got increasing demands uh, from agriculture on water use, and it's built on a system, again, that 100 years ago overestimated the amount of water that was available. And now, as you get into climate-related impacts and climate change in the basin, um, we're, we're heading towards, it's not just long-term drought or mega drought, it's long-term arification of yeah. the West, right? Yeah. Um, and so from, I, I guess, from a, a policy standpoint, you know, the federal government's been loath, you know, to sort of step in and has, has been, you know, essentially willing to uh, let the states, you know, sort of work through these issues of um, changing allocations and putting in drought mitigation efforts, you know, kind of left it up to themselves. Mm. But we, you know, we finally saw the, um, the federal government step in not too long ago um, and mandate uh, some cuts in allocation water rights. That, that's just the beginning. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's just going to happen year over year. And so I guess, again, kind of bringing it back to our audience, you know, whether we've got companies listening or investors listening or asset managers or whatever the case is, you know, as, as we do business in regions like the Colorado River Basin, and it's not all that unique in terms of the changes that are happening to the basin and, and, and the long-term water scarcity issues. But as we do business in those areas, as we invest in those areas, as we invest and companies that do business or source from those areas, we all have a responsibility then to ensure that um, our actions are incentivizing, again, responsible stewardship of the resource. And, and so the, the, you know, I can't prove this, of course, but, you know, I, I think there's probably enough water in the basin to, to meet current needs and uses, but it has to be better managed. There has to be more resilient uh, infrastructure systems and approaches built into the basin. And people have to be serious about reducing consumption. I just read this morning that in Southern California, um, the governor had set like a 15% uh, consumption reduction goal for the state, you know, right. in, the, in the face of this drought. Right. In Southern California, consumption actually went up, but it went up, you know, it was a minuscule amount. It was maybe a percent or less than a percent. Right. But there wasn't even a, an overall reduction in Southern California in right. terms of water use during the, the, that has to change completely. It's, it's, it's unacceptable. And then the other thing is too, we got to really look at again, should we be growing certain things in certain areas of this country? And for any crop that is water intensive, that's very water intensive, that relies on irrigated, you know, uh, irrigation to supplement, you know, um, it's water resources, we need to think hard about in continuing to invest um, in those types of, of areas and, and that type of production um, in those water stressed regions. And so there's some big changes that are required. 
I think the, the, the positive thing as it relates, whether it's the Colorado River or just sort of general water stewardship issues that we face, you know, around North America, we know what to do. We have the technology. We just need the will to work collectively to address those issues. Yeah, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I should have done this before. I remembered it last week, but I've forgotten the the article I was reading, and I'll try to link it in the in the show notes below. You know, when you're when you're looking at this podcast, when you're clicking on it. But there were two facts that kind of jumped out at me: as the history of the Colorado River and, and and all this stuff. And then we began talking about it, but. The compact, whatever you want to call it, was set you know a little over a hundred years ago, I believe, and the incentive structures in there, like any intractable problem in the world, it gets down to incentives. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was uh, farmers are incentivized; they have an allocation in a lot of in a lot of cases, and if they don't use all of their allocation, they lose it or it gets minimized. So, of course, you have instances where you know, a, a farmer will only need three quarters of his allocation, but they pump the other third, the other quarter, did I say three quarters, they, they pump the other quarter and then dump it. Yeah. And because that's the incentive structure. And then one other thing, and, and, you know, we have, the, like you said, we have the technology, we know, we know how to deal with these issues. It's, it's incentives and how we live our lives will have to change in some ways. Because another fact that I, that really struck me from that article was that uh, I grew up, well, I grew up a, a, a Catholic kid, and on Friday in Lent, you always had, you know, fish at school because you weren't, you know, no one ate meat on Fridays in Lent, right? Or you had some, or, or some vegetarian option. And just the water intensity, intensity of beef production uh, around the world, but just you know, they're talking about in the, especially out west, is just so water intensive that if meat-free Friday was just all year round for everyone in the United States, just as an example, not telling anybody to be vegetarian or not, but just as an example, just doing the math, that would solve the problem of, it, of, of, of the need of the need for water because that industry is just so overwhelmingly water intensive or you know, even, you know, looking, you know, Google, you know, for that, that teaspoon of water, Google, <laughs> you know, the water intensity of, you know, beef versus pork versus chicken versus soybeans or whatever you want. And it's just amazing how water intensive the beef industry is. And you've you've made the point. We we have solutions out there. And again, you know, neither you nor I are necessarily advocating for, you know, uh, meatless Fridays. But the point is we, we can do the math and we can calculate and figure out ways for us to reduce our reliance on water and, right. and, and to develop a less water intensive economy, if you will, or supply chain. And so again, you know, looking at optimistically, you know, moving forward and, and solving, you know, these, these problems, we have the technology, we have the knowledge, it, 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 it comes back to willpower and do we want to engage others collectively to address this issue? You know, that, that's the key because water stewardship and water scarcity it's a shared resource so we need to share the solutions with others um, and work together to 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 mitigate those those risks well before we go uh i wanted to talk about uh, a solution that you guys are working on yeah uh, we, we've talked about you know, changing incentives and you know just i think people 
knowing and understanding more about water and not taking for granted, you know, that gets them to track down the information of what can I do, what can my company do, and you know, what, what is the what incentives does government government need to set all around the you know, this isn't just a United States conversation. You know, the the, th- the same is if you're talking about the the Nile or the Yangtze or whatever the river is. You know, these issues are are global, but. The Water Council is working on a program to help companies better track and manage their water stewardship. And I believe, if if I remember correctly, that's going to be launched in a couple months. Could you tell us just what that program is, what it's about, and how it's going to to save the world? Yeah, for sure. So right now we're calling it our Corporate Water Stewardship Accelerator. And basically, as the name implies, you know, we want to work with companies, with corporations to accelerate their water stewardship performance. And so... One of the things that, that we've seen out there in our you know, 10 plus years of experience now um, working with companies on water stewardship is there's a bit of a gap in the marketplace uh, and a need right now to better define and recognize what quote unquote good corporate water stewardship looks like. We know what good water stewardship looks like at a factory or at a farm, but what does it mean for a corporation to set enterprise-wide goals on water stewardship, what does it mean for them then to implement that, to report on that? And then how do they convey that credibly to to stakeholders like ESG investors and asset managers and others? So this accelerator essentially is a methodology, um, a plan, do, check, act approach for a company to identify its water uses, impacts, and risks, set some goals, put a policy or strategy in place, and gives them the confidence to implement that, that strategy and meet those goals and then help them report that and tell a story, again, that's credible on water stewardship in terms of what they're doing as a company. And if you kind of look at the Wild West, if you will, of all the different uh, ESG-related reporting frameworks that are out there, there's a lot of good stuff uh, on water and, and water data and reporting you know, water data and water uses for, for companies, but there's very little room to tell a, a more nuanced story on water stewardship. And it's it's not just about water security or it's not just about water conservation. It's about regulatory risk, reputational risk, talking about water quality issues. And so we really see a need to, to try and work with investors, work with asset managers, just work with the ESG community, try and come around and, and reach some agreement um, on recognizing again, good corporate water stewardship performance and, and recognizing the, the credible reporting that, that follows. And so this accelerator is essentially uh, our uh, program to, to help meet that, that need. And, and, and we're confident it's going to deliver value, um, not only for companies that, that go through the accelerator, but again, also for, for those stakeholders in the ESG marketplace that you know, need to do you know, comparability analyses and and, and need to just have a better understanding of, you know, when a company says X on water stewardship, what does it really mean? And, and is that credible? So you're, you're right too on the timing. It's going to be a couple months, probably a little bit closer to uh, 2022. Just keep an eye out for announcements from the Water Council. And uh, people, of course, can, can check our website for information or contact me if they want to learn more. All right. Well, we've been we've been hopefully not boring people for about a half an hour. So I'm going to I'm going to let you go and I'm going to let them go. But before we do let you go, I guess you mentioned it there. Tell people how to contact you. And then uh, I always make my guests uh, give a little homework to our 
our listeners, we don't let you off that easy. <laughs> what's, you know, what are you reading or what's something you recommend them look at if they want to dig a little deeper than this half hour they've spent with us? Yeah, for sure. So check out uh, our website at the Water Council. So it's pretty straightforward. It's www.thewatercouncil.com. So you can reach me through that. I, I read a lot of uh, Will Sarney. He's a he's a thinker, uh, leader out there in terms of, of water issues. Uh, you can you can Google Will. Use your teaspoon of water. Um, and find what, how do you how do you spell the last name? S A R N I. Okay. And so he and I have written some articles together and we've done some work together, but I, I always enjoy his writing. I think, you know, in terms of our resource for companies just getting started out, two things, and, and then I'll turn it back over to you, Matt. Um, the first is the World Wildlife Fund, Google WWF Water Stewardship. And that should, again, pull up their water stewardship page. And there's lots of great white papers on there and case studies. It's just a good resource uh, for companies getting started in water stewardship. The other one, which is uh, sort of fun because it's based on a, on a sort of a GIS map platform, is the WRI Aqueduct tool. And for companies, this is a really quick, free tool that helps you visualize water stress for wherever your facilities are located. And you can just sort of, yeah, you can just sort of play around with that tool. You can put in your home address, your work address, whatever. Um, so just a couple of things to get, get people started on their water stewardship journey. All right. That's been great. Thanks, Matt, for, uh, for talking to us. I hope uh, our listeners got a lot out of that. And uh, thanks again. We'll let you go. Uh, take care. All right. My pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you.